It is uh, good to be with you and to be back after these many years. And uh, I heard that they were digging around for weird stories about me. Uh, the truth is, I didn't do very many weird things. But my roommate, uh, you see, I was sitting next to my roommate from school, Terry Posey, who is an attorney in the Tacoma area. Now, he did some really great things. I mean, always feuding, you know, always the door opening and whipped cream, you know, in the face and, uh, and just a cons- he could teach you some great tricks. And uh, I'd, I'd like to go on about it at great length. And, uh, and one of my other roommates, uh, Gordy, is back there. It's nice to see him. So after all these years, it is good to be here with you. And uh, the Lord has blessed us over these years. And I am the uh, new president in, uh, of the seminary in Tacoma. That seminary used to be here. Some of you may know or not know that the college had a seminary while I was here. And that seminary left and uh, started in uh, Tacoma, Washington. We are a, a school that uh, meets in a mansion, the Weyerhaeuser Estate. 110 rooms. I have inlaid ceilings in my office and secret panels. It's one of those incredible places that the Lord gave to us. And we are training men and women for ministry and really having a great, great time. And it is good after these many years in the pastorate to be involved in training men and women in the practical matters of ministry for God. And I just want to tell you that I received a great education while I was here, and not only was blessed, but then blessed as I went on. I was uh, one of the first students when the seminary went north, and God has used that training in my life in so many ways, and I am very, very uh, thankful. Well, before we get started this morning, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, it's real easy for us sometimes to hear about you and to remain unchanged. Lord, I ask this, that as we have worshipped You this morning, and as our hearts have drawn near, that now that You would speak to us in a way that would be absolutely of the Holy Spirit, and You would get a hold of our minds and our hearts, and that there would be changes. And it would happen because You had worked in us here. And we ask, we plead, we beg that you would be the one that takes these moments together and empowers them and touches us. We need you, Lord. We come again in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed that really difficult things come into your life when you're least expecting them? I mean, you're going along, it's kind of an average day, and all of a sudden something comes into your life that begins to change your life. About uh, four months ago, I was uh, in a hurry. I have a tendency to be in a hurry, and I was driving down the freeway. Actually, in Washington, we have Interstate 5 like you do. I was on Interstate 5, and I was in a hurry to make a lunch appointment. And as I was driving, I had to turn off of the major uh, freeway onto a... uh, 520. 520 is a floating bridge. We have two floating bridges in Seattle. One of them is the most expensive freeway in the world. And, uh, but I was on the smaller one. It's only two lanes each direction. It floats across the lake. And so I 
was in a hurry. I got off the off-ramp. Now, I was doing the speed limit, and uh, but there's a very, very short off-ramp from the freeway I left, I-5, to the one I was going on to. So I was, uh, I came down. There was a lot of traffic behind me. I was motoring along, and as I merged, there was a, a yellow truck in uh, the right lane, and I needed to merge on. Now, there was nobody next to the yellow truck. There was nobody around the yellow truck. So there's yellow truck, and then there's me. And uh, we're going very fast. And you have a split-second decision. What are you going to do? You're going to go in front? You're going to go behind? Or you, you know, we're, we're right there together. And I uh, determined that he would move over, and I'd slip in. So I, uh, I, I pulled in. Well, as I pulled in, I realized he wasn't going to move over. But you know, you're doing 55 and there's cars behind you and you, so I punched it and I zipped right in front of him and, and as I, I, I pulled in, I noticed this was a beautiful yellow truck. This was one of those reconditioned, oh, it was probably a, a 1948 uh, Chevy. It was gorgeous. It had a brand new yellow paint job. It had the pipes off the side, you know, and it was, and um, so I, and I, so that's all I thought of it. Well, the truck, who was now behind me in my lane, pulled out and passed me. And as he passed me, there was a lot of gesturing and yelling going on. Now, I didn't look, you know, because people that tend to be obscene, so I just didn't look. And he pulled in front of me and slowed down. Real slow. We're just barely getting across the floating bridge. Well... You know, there are a lot of people in the world. What do you say? So I got out of the right lane, got around him. And uh, as, I, as I drove by him, in the, you know, past him, there was a lot more obscene gesturing and yelling again. I, I motored on by and I, um, I pulled over and didn't think much of it, except I looked in my rearview mirror and he is right on my bumper. I mean, we're talking close. We're talking breath. You, you see him there. And I looked in the mirror because I wanted to see if there was one or two people that were hollering. And I realized there was just one, so all that hollering was for me. And uh, we got across the bridge. And I was going on my way. I speeded up a little. He speeded up. Matter of fact, he was really tight with me. And I went about four, five, six miles. And, uh, and he just snugged right in there. And I, I, so I got off um, on the Kirkland exit. To, uh, to go to lunch, and he got off. Now, about this time, I've had some second thoughts about this guy. See? Now, I have a Thunderbird, and uh, I know that I can corner faster than he can corner in that truck, and so I just put my foot in it, and I just roared off the ramp down. Pulled, away, pulled right away from him and came to a stoplight. Now, being a little nervous at this point, I wasn't exactly sure what to do. And instead of going straight through the light, which is what I was supposed to do, I got in the left turn lane. And he got in the left turn lane behind me. And uh, so I turned left into uh, Microsoft parking lot. Microsoft, is that's where their headquarters are up in our area. They have lots and lots of campuses of Microsoft buildings. And I pulled right into a Microsoft lot, which obviously I didn't want to be. And he's behind me. So I did a quick U-turn. And pulled back to the light because I got to turn left and go the way I was supposed to go. And he did a quick U-turn and pulled in right behind me. And then he got out of his car. 
And he came over to the window and he said, roll down that window. Now, how stupid do you think I am? I said, no. He came over the window and he faced on the window like that, just like that. And he said, I won't repeat because it was vulgar and vile and yelled. And finally, at the very end, he said, it's people like you that are the reason that people like us carry guns. Now, honest, gang, I want to tell you, I thought all these people were in Los Angeles. <laughs> See, I didn't think they let... He got back in his truck, the light... You say, well, why didn't you just pull through the intersection? There's traffic. See, I couldn't pull away from him. The light, left turn, light turn, green, I turn left. He turned left. He followed me now, right on my tail, down into Kirkland. And it was at this point that I began to pray. Really. You know, you don't always think about praying when you're in the middle of things, but all of a sudden you realize, I thought to myself, this guy is going to pull right behind me into the restaurant and he's going to get out and then what will he do? I just began praying. I began seriously praying. I began talking to the Lord about this thing. I said, Lord, you're going to have to deliver me from this thing. I don't know what to do, but I don't like the situation. And then I got right to the place where I had to turn off to the restaurant. And then with some more obscene gesturing and yelling, he veered off and, and drove another direction. Now you see, we don't always know when these things are coming into our lives. I, I have thought a lot about that day, and I have thought a lot about those moments, and I, I can see the man's face, and I can see his truck, and, I, and I've thought, and I've thought, what? what? What should I learn from this? What should I learn? I, 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 am, I am more careful in my driving. I really don't honk at people anymore. I, um, well, there's more than that. You know, the Lord used that day to get my attention again. Yes, he did. The Lord used that day to get my attention again. Think about the Lord more in that practical area of living. Haven't you ever been going along and you're driving or whatever you're doing and all of a sudden you, you started to fall asleep at the wheel or whatever and you woke up just to realize you're going to hit a guardrail and your heart just beat like crazy and you thought, Oh, Lord! I talked to, uh, in these many years of, of pastoring, I talked to a lady in one of my churches she said to me, you know, it just seems in my life that I keep wanting to go and do my own thing. And the Lord has to do such huge things to get my attention. Friends, that is a dangerous place to be when God has to do something huge to get our attention. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 with me. And what I'd like to say this morning, what I'd like to emblazon on your mind I'd like to tack it to your mind. I'd like to circle it in red. I'd like you to remember it and never forget it is that God is involved in getting our attention. God is involved in gaining my attention and your attention. 1 Kings chapter 19 involves Elijah. Elijah has just done some unbelievable things for God. I won't go into all of those. Just kind of a rehearse. You remember that he prophesied it wasn't going to rain. 
It didn't rain for three and a half years and God sustained him miraculously. And after God sustained him miraculously, he came down and spoke to the wicked king Ahaz and said, you know, you have been following after all these idols. And he hauled all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel. And they had that great showdown. And you remember that they, God called, Elijah called down fire from heaven and God burned the thing up. And then they slew all the prophets of Baal. And then he prayed that God would send rain. And God sent it. And you'll probably also remember that after all of that, that Jezebel, the wicked king's wife, said, you're not going to live. And from those words of Jezebel, Elijah ran three days' journey out into the wilderness and asked God to take his life. Now, I want to say something because I think there's a lot of Elijah bashing. I think there's going to be a line in heaven around two or three people, Elijah and Peter and a few others, of people who are going to apologize for all the poor preaching they have done at whipping these people who are just like us. There isn't anybody who's been ministry that, that hasn't had a place in their life where they came and said, you know what, God? I think I'd just like to call this whole thing off. All of us. Sometimes we'll take Elijah and we'll just whip him around because better him than me. And the Lord comes to Elijah and does something very interesting, and that is sends an angel and says, Elijah, um, have something to eat. And I just want to say, after you've been pastoring for a while and you're in ministry, that sometimes we give people all kinds of spiritual advice for their great needs, and sometimes all they need to do is eat and sleep. Sometimes they can't hear it. Their lives are just shattered. Sometimes they don't, don't tell them anything. Don't tell them anything. Let them eat and sleep and gain some strength. The Lord doesn't do much rebuking of Elijah, just gives him some food. And after a couple of days of that, after a couple of days of that, instead of Elijah saying, well, well now I wonder what the Lord wants to tell me, Elijah runs, you can read it in, in the passage, he runs out in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. That was quite a meal. Huh? That was quite a meal. He ate that and off he went. We had Tommy burgers last night. Just couldn't resist coming back to town, not having Tommy burgers, only you have them here in town. I don't think they're as good as the Hollywood Tommy burgers, but... Huh. Elijah has this wonderful meal from God. It wasn't better than that. Whatever it was, for 40 days and 40 nights, he runs out, runs to the mountain of God, and then sits down and says, God, well, read it with me. Uh, he, uh, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in verse 9 of 1 Kings 19. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Now, uh, I've been there. You're out in a cave someplace out in the desert. That's what it says. It said he was in a cave. Verse 9. 
And God says, what are you doing here? And I say, Lord, I like this pity puddle. And I'm the only one serving you. Normally in my life, the Lord says, Wagner. Now, the Lord always calls me by my last name when I'm not being good. He says, Wagner. Get out of your cave. The cave may be self-pity, maybe self-centeredness, maybe self-indulgence, maybe self-doubt, but the focus is always on self. Get out of the cave. Look what he says. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. You see, God wants to get our attention and he wants to speak to us. And the Lord says, get out of this cave. So Elijah obeyed him, got out of the cave. And then something happens. And I read it and reread it and thought about it and looked at it, turned it around in my mind, I don't know how many times, trying to figure it out. Read with me. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Well, then what in the world did God do it for then? Elijah, get out of your cave. I want to talk to you. The presence of the Lord is coming. So Elijah goes out, and the wind comes and rips the place apart. And the Lord's not in the wind. No. And the Lord's not in the wind. This last fall, we had a windstorm in our corner of the world. The uh, wind came at 60 to 70 miles an hour through our area. And the huge fir trees that have been there now for years, some of them hundreds of years, just began falling like pencils. Unbelievable devastation. Uh, I mean, they knocked down all the local power lines, all the intermediate power lines, all those, you know those great big giant power lines? You know, the ones that carry all the... Just, just crumbled them. And after the wind, you kind of walked around and you looked at all of this. You say, wow, what power God has. Unbelievable. And God does all this in front of Elijah. And I don't know how far out of the cave he got because he hadn't got out too far. And it says the rocks were splitting apart. The wind was blowing so hard. And the Lord wasn't in the wind. I know, we always go to the still small voice thing. I just keep coming back and say, why did God do this? And I think the answer this morning is God wanted to get the attention of Elijah. He wanted him to listen. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, now this is my 20 year reunion from the school. But you have to remember that, you know, I started beyond 20 years ago and that I was a freshman here in 1971 when the last great earthquake came and my son now a freshman here in his freshman year gets the same treatment see isn't it interesting what happens in the earthquake huh I mean I was in the dorm ours happened about six in the morning it was real big and the, the you know you're you're half asleep no I was all asleep 
And you get up, everything's, you know, messed up, and you, and you, uh, and people do weird things. Kind of shows their character. Really, it does. Some people kept their heads, got in the doorway, stood there, got underneath their desk, and waited. But some guys were just running up and down the hall, yelling and screaming. And I want to say, I want to pick on any one group, but I want to say the athletes were the worst. I mean, I'm sure your athletes are a lot smarter than our guys, but our guys, they're just, I mean, they're running so fast, they're knocking people over, they're grasping for doors, they're yelling, and they're hollering. Then we had one student, this is the truth, we had one student who slept through the whole thing, never woke up. Huh? That was Gil Busenich, Gil slept through the whole thing. Then there are a few people that are right in the middle of the earthquake. They're running up and down saying, can I help you? Do you have any needs? Well, it's wonderful, except, you know, the, the ceiling's falling in here. <laughs> Which evidently is the reason I heard in this area that the one lady who was delivering a baby, she was halfway through labor, the baby was starting to come out, the earthquake came, and everybody left her. And I, I saw it on television. And, I, and, and, and you know what the reason was? They said... We wanted to preserve the doctors so they could treat the wounded people afterwards. And so all the doctors left her and went and hid under whatever they were supposed to do. And then they came out and finished the job. And I thought, that sounds a little suspicious to me. But you know and I know that after the earthquake, there are all kinds of opportunities to minister. I never had more opportunities to, to give my testimony at my job than during those days when we had the the after trimmers and the aftershocks. Because people's lives are just on the edge. And this thing that they call an act of God or a natural disaster shakes their lives. But you know, I found that there were a lot of people whose windows rattled who didn't turn to God from the earthquake. They didn't even think that that was the person that they needed to think about. But what an opportunity you have. To give testimony to the people that you're around and say, you know what? God's trying to get our attention. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. What, what, I, what I, I think this means is that the Lord didn't say anything to Elijah about, through the earthquake. But can you imagine Elijah in the cave? Now the wind has just rent all the rocks and then everything starts to shake so all that loose rock is coming down. I wondered if, if Elijah stood in the mouth of the earthquake or if he ran out in an open area and tried to dodge all the rocks that were falling out because they just all split. I don't know. But I do know this, that God was trying to get his attention. And I find that there are an awful lot of people having gone through all of this, say, well, everybody went through this. And they missed that God was trying to talk to them. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. It was my freshman year, and I had forgotten that we had major fires. You could go up on top of the hill, up above the dorm, and watch the hills burn. And uh, you've had some fires here. I listened on television to a fella who had had fire hit all of his businesses and now had earthquakes hit all of his business. And he was just saying... I don't know what to think of all this. And I wanted to say, doesn't somebody have a microphone nearby to say, God's trying to get your attention? And I suspect that with the heat of the fire 
on the rocks that Elijah began to wonder what in the world God was doing. As far as we know, Elijah was the only person out here as God runs through all these major disasters all around him. He's the only one. The Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, gentle breeze, some of your Bibles read. Still small voice, if you're older and have that version. And Elijah heard it, and he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah went back into his little thing and said, Lord, I'm the only one around. I'm the only one. I guess the saddest thing of these verses was the fact that God, in an unbelievable and mighty way, got a hold of Elijah's attention. But Elijah still kept reciting, I, I'm the only one around here. I want to tell you something. I believe in every one of our lives in this room that God is trying to get our attention. He wants us to listen. It's amazing what things we go through in our lives. Remember the lady I said, just mentioned her at the beginning of this message, that told me that God had to do just big things or she just wouldn't listen. That was... That was 10, 12 years ago. His son just committed suicide last six months. And the heartache and heartbreak of that, plus a whole bunch of other things. And I've thought often to myself, will she listen to God ever as he speaks to her? God's trying to get our attention. See, God could have just talked to Elijah in a still small voice when he came out of the cave, but God wanted Elijah to listen. And as I examine the Bible time after time after time through the Bible, God is trying to get the attention of his people. I was reading in Amos, who tells of all the things that God had done in a powerful and judgmental way on his people and time and again it says yet you have not returned to me you didn't listen i sent you famine you didn't listen i i gave water to some people and water not to other people and you didn't listen you didn't see there was any correlation between god and you and through the bible god reaches out and he reaches out through through the prophets and they cry and he reaches out he reaches out through moses to those obstinate israelites and they turn away and for some reason, God continues to care. You know, as I read through the book of Judges, it just seems to me that they played God for the fool. Because they cry out and say, help, and God would help them, and they go right back to the same old thing. And then they cry out and say, God, help, and God would help them, and they go right back to the same old thing. Why in the world did God keep doing that over and over and over and over and over and over? You know why? Because God cared about them. He wanted their attention. He wanted their love. He wanted their care. As we enter the New Testament... 
I think of the Lord weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou who killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you would not. Wouldn't listen. How is it with you? Has God been trying to get your attention? Has God been speaking to you? Have you been... Now, I know right here, you know, the guys that are in, into the Bible class, theology class, say, now, is that for Christians or for non-Christians? The Lord says, behold, I stand at the door and knock if any man will open the door. doesn't mean men. He means people. Anybody? See, God today like He has through the centuries, has come to individuals and He's knocking and He is asking and He is pleading, I want your attention. I want your attention. I want your attention. And sometimes He does it in a mighty wind and sometimes He does it in a still small voice, but there's all a purpose here. church at Laodicea was a, a church that was definitely full of themselves. Didn't have need of anything of God. They were still a church. Didn't know that they were poor and blind and, and naked. Didn't know that. God says, repent and come back because I am standing at the door and I am knocking. In my, um, in my own life, I was a freshman here at the college. And I was sitting in my dorm one day. This probably won't have a, as much an impact on you as it certainly has had on me. It's my freshman year, first semester before the earthquake. I was sitting in my room one day. I didn't have to work the first semester. I was just uh, studying for a while and then kind of daydreaming for a while and not really doing much of anything. I was just thinking about stuff, and all of a sudden I thought, I wonder when I'm going to get serious about spending time with God. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't a terrible student. Spiritually, I wasn't off the wall or something. And I thought, you know, when I was in high school, I thought that when I got to college, I'd get serious about following God. Now here I'm in college. I wonder when that ever is going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen. And then I thought, I wonder if I'll get out of college and ask myself the same question that I'm asking myself now. And I just think, well, when I get out of college, I'll start to get serious about God. Maybe when I go to seminary, I'll start getting serious about God. Or maybe... And with no great chapel speaker, with no class on it, with no other thought except God and me standing in that room together, it dawned on me that God wanted my attention then. He wanted to meet with me. He wanted to talk to me. He wanted me. And I stopped and said, Lord,
I will come to you for you myself. No excuses. And I'll ask your opinion. As a change point in my life. It was a change point. You know, I had some things in my life that weren't so good. And I had a hundred excuses as to why I could do what I did. I want to tell you that. If you're doing things that you shouldn't do, be, and everybody's coming along and saying, you know, you ought not to be doing that. You say, ah, oh, get lost. Forget it. I'm not interested in hearing you. I have, and then you can give all these great rationalizations as to why you're doing what you're doing. No chapel speaker, no professor, no friend probably will make a very big difference in the way you're thinking because you say, i got a reason to think the way I'm thinking. But when you come to God alone and say, God, I'm coming to you not because I have a class, not anything else. This is an old T survey or NT survey reading. I'm just coming to you for you. I'm just listening to you. Lord, what do you want to tell me? I want to tell you something. God has something to say. And I opened my Bible and God began to put his finger in my life where no one else could. I, I like my own kind of music. That's the, a, a nice way of saying I like music that wasn't good for me. But I had all kinds of reasons why I could listen to the junk I listened to. And no roommate, nobody else was going to tell me any different. You know what? When I said, God, what do you think about this music? There wasn't anybody to argue with when he told me. Nobody to argue with. It's kind of like, get rid of it. And I thought, are you sure? I mean, shouldn't I have to go to basic youth or something to tell me to get rid of this stuff? Burn my records? Tapes? God said, don't do it. You know what? It changed my life because I started to listen. I started to listen. And I stand before you here this morning. And I've wrestled with a couple of your minds I'd like just to take you right now with the Holy Spirit's power and I'd like to grab hold of your mind and I'd like to say, are you listening to God? Are you listening? Does He have your attention? Or has He been bringing activities and people and challenges and difficulties into your life one after the other after the other and you're saying... I can handle it. And I believe that the Holy Savior is waiting. Right this morning, He is waiting for some of you, along with me, to say, Lord, I will give you my attention. Tell me what you want me to do. Wait. What do our minds do right now? They say, oh, I wish my roommate could hear this. I know just the person. I sure hope they're listening. 
And God says, are you listening? Is this your attention? And I close as a young pastor. I was a very young pastor. I went to see someone. His wife, this fellow's wife had been coming. His parents were missionaries. His wife had been coming to the church. She said, oh, would you come and see my husband? I said, sure. She said, up the time. I knocked on the door. She opened the door. She said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Honey, look who happens to come tonight. At that moment, I knew that he hadn't been told that I was on my way. See, She set it up. I showed up. And he looked at me, and I could see that he was not a happy camper. I went into the room. He sat there like this, watching the news. So for a while, we watched the news together. Finally, I said, do you mind if I uh, turn the news off? He said, okay. Parents have been missionaries. Their marriage had blown apart. He was bitter and angry and hated God and was not interested in me or anybody else. Had his wonderful wife. I don't know why she married such a jerk. He sat there and looked at me. Well, I didn't know, I didn't know what to say to him, so I went over the plan of salvation. He said, I've accepted the Lord already. Well, that's good. I just, you know, if you don't live like it, sometimes maybe you ought to, ought to ask somebody, are you right with God? And then he just said, hey, I'm bitter. I don't like it. And I'm not interested. And I said uh, a couple of things to him at the door and, and he let me out into the night. And I thought, boy, that was a wasted evening. And he was a ski instructor to military high brass. He was in the military. This was his job teaching, you know, generals how to ski. And uh, could have some fun with that. And uh, he said, uh, about six weeks later, he said, do uh, you know what turned my life around? And I kind of thought, well, he's going to tell me all those things that I said to him there in his place and how God used it. He said, you know, I don't remember a thing that you had to say the whole evening you were at my house. It's kind of humbling. He said, except one thing. And that is that when you left the door... You turned and looked at me and said, don't wait too long. And he said, I went out the next day and I went up on the ski lift early in the morning to check the place and over and over and over and over again in my mind, I heard, don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. Don't wait. All day he said those words haunted me until... By night, I got down on my knees and said, God, I don't want to wait any longer. I want to come back to you. See, God was trying to get his attention. The Holy Spirit took those words and burned them into his heart because God cared so much about him. It's like he cares about us. So I ask you this morning, is God waiting for you? Is He standing at the door of your heart knocking? Is He waiting for repentance and a change of mind so that you will listen and pay attention? We're going to pray in just a second. Here's what I'm going to do. I want you to know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask as we pray.
those people in this room, you say, you know what? God is speaking to me this morning. He is speaking to me. The Holy Spirit is definitely working. There are areas in my life where I have not been giving God attention. Now listen, if you're giving God full attention, just sit, sit. Okay, that's good. But you may be here this morning and say, you know what, Mark? I have not been giving God full attention in my life. And I know God wants it. And I'm just going to ask you to stand up and pray with me and ask God that He would knock and that you would open the door and that you would listen. Don't, don't stand up for somebody else. There's only two people, that's good. You know, friends, I believe consistently God is trying to get our attention. And He wants us to say yes. Let's pray. Lord, please listen to us. Please. This is kind of a strange invitation, Lord, because we're not going to stop in the middle of this prayer. We're not going to look around. We're not going to say anything. But God, if you're speaking to us this morning, we ask that you will allow us the strength and courage to stand before you and say, Lord, please, please, I know you're trying to get my attention. So as we pray right now that there might be some who would say, yes, I know God is knocking on my heart. Lord, as we stand here before you, we ask, we beg, we plead, work in our lives. Work in us. And Lord, in this room, there are battles in our minds right now because... We, we don't really want anybody to know that we haven't been listening like we should. And Lord, some of us, quietly, are saying yes, right now. Lord, we know you've been knocking at the door of our hearts. And we are asking. Would you work in us? Satan has thrown against us all of his darts and he has said, oh, we're not worth anything to God. And Lord, we come back to you and recognize that you as our Heavenly Father care so much about us and love us so much and so deeply that you've been there all along knocking. So we come. Broken lives. Some with pieces. We come. We're not very flashy, Lord. We're kind of brown paper wrapper type Christians. But we want to say with all of our hearts that we will give you attention. What does that mean, Lord? It means we will listen. And even about the stuff that we've argued about, and even about the stuff that we have good reasons to do what we're doing, we will listen to you and we will say, tell me what you think, Lord, and that's what I'll do. And I want to thank you for working in such a knucklehead like me when I was stubborn and wanted to go my own direction. You've been so patient and so loving and so caring 
and so personal. Thank you. Thank you for working in us here this day. May we not forget it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. You're dismissed.